was like, I'm either going to be a stay-at-home mom, a marine biologist, or Stephanie Tanner's best friend. <laughs> DJ? No, what, what was her name? No, Kimmy Gibbler was DJ's oh, best friend. Right. Oh, what was that girl's name? She was like the bad influence, but then she turned out to just be a mixed-up kid, and spending time with the Tanners really helped her. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> SVU pod, especially heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. We are on season two, episode six, non-compliance. Mm-hmm. The opening scene is there's this like construction worker dude walking into a market. Morning, Maggie. Morning, Maggie. <laughs> yeah. The coffee isn't on and he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. It's obviously his regular spot. Yeah. He's like, where's the coffee? And uh, he sees all these bloody footprints and they're leading behind the counter. That's when he sees who I assume is Maggie. She's lying mm-hmm. on the ground covered in blood and her like underwear down to her ankles. So he runs outside to use the payphone to call 911. Payphones were these things that are outside that you put quarters in and shit and like call people. <laughs> to pick you up from the aquatic center. The aquatic center. (laughs) (laughs) So he's calling 911 and he looks over by the trash and there's another body. Yeah, it's like a pair of khakis and dad shoes, Mm -hmm. like dad sneakers, on top of just a mountain of black garbage bags Yeah, with a super bloody crotch. By a dumpster Mm -hmm. and it looks like the guy was like stabbed in like the balls or something. There's like a ton of blood on his pants in like the groin area. So this fucking construction guy saw like a lot of shit in like a really short amount of time. I also Mm -hmm. don't know how he didn't see the bloody footprints and stuff because they were on the floor when he walked in. It was everywhere. I said the same thing and I went through his thought process. The reason he went to look behind the counter is because he looked down at the floor and there was all this blood leading to behind the counter. Um... And I'm like, well, it's your regular spot. I pretty much reenacted it as if I was a fucking forensics cop. Mm-hmm. And I mentally walked in and was like, Maggie, where's the coffee? Oh, I get it. Like, he's not going to look at the floor. He's walking in confidently. When you walk in somewhere confident, you look straight ahead. He's going right for that coffee pot. Doesn't think twice. Yeah. He doesn't need to watch where he's going. That's his fucking spot. Right. So Benson and Stabler show up. So the victim behind the counter, her name is Maggie Sandemir, and she is the night manager. And it looks like she was raped and shot. Um, The dude by the trash that had the bloody crotch, he was stabbed in the back, chest, and in the genitals. But he survived, so he on his way to the hospital. Mm -hmm. But he's a John Doe. He's a John Doe, yeah. So Benson goes to talk to the guy who called it in and this dude is like fucking shook, understandably, obviously. His name is Alvin Maddox. He's like super antsy. He said he didn't really notice anything was wrong until he got to the coffee pot and there was no coffee in there. Benson asks him for his boots because he needs to rule out his footprints and stuff. And he like looks down and didn't even realize there was like blood all over him and starts like freaking out. And she's like, we'll return him to you. And he's like, fucking don't. I don't care. I'll never wear him again. Yeah. He also said that he was really upset that anybody would do this because he's like I don't understand everybody loved Maggie and he didn't know the guy outside he played a really great I've never seen a dead body before witness totally yeah so Stabler's behind the counter checking out Maggie's body he realizes Mm. the body's been what (laughs) sorry Stabler's back (laughs) behind the counter checking out Maggie's body (laughs) so Stabler he's he's investigating like Maggie's body in the area and it's obvious that the body's been tampered with because she was shot in the back but she was laying on her back and her little cute ass little 
shoes were on the wrong feet. Yeah. Um, so there was no fluid. So the guy wore a condom. And it doesn't make sense that there was a knife and a gun that were used on both victims. Like right. Maggie was shot, but the guy on the trash was stabbed. So mm-hmm. they're thinking that maybe there's two perps with two different weapons, maybe. Yeah, because they're like, if so, he had the gun, then why the knife? Yeah. It didn't, it didn't make sense. So they're in Cragen's office and the team is going over everything. The money was still in the register. So they're thinking it was a rape interrupted. There's no security footage because the cameras there are just for show. Mm-hmm. Both Vicks display different types of attack. Maggie's perp was focused and controlled, but John Doe's perp was frenzied and chaotic. Right. It gives them more of a reason to think that it was two perps or they think that the guy who shot Maggie got like flustered and then panic killed this John Doe dude. So yeah, they also said that one dude could have been interrupted and like flipped out. Munch and Toots are then tasked by Cragen with IDing our John Doe. He's not awake yet, so they'll be going around the neighborhood to try to get more information on who he might be. Mm-hmm. And Benson and Stabler are going to talk to Maggie's family. So Benson and Stabler are with Maggie's mom. She is fragile. Oh. She's taken some sort of something to chill her out. I didn't even think of that. I just thought she was like, oh no. When they were meeting, Cragen had asked about the mom, and oh, that makes Stabler so much was sense. like, yeah. she took a pill. Yeah. So Maggie was working third shift at the store because she was going to school during the day and it was in her own neighborhood and everyone knew her and loved her but mom tells them that there was a patient that she had trouble with at the mental health clinic that she interned at which was the HMH clinic the homeless mental health clinic so this patient he fantasized that he and Maggie had a relationship mom flat out said that he stalked her she doesn't remember his name but there's a police report but Maggie had assured her that he was harmless and whatever else she was such a great actress that she mom. was re- she was really great I wish I would have taken note of any of her quotes because when I rewatched it I'm like ooh the way she's speaking is really great it's just like yeah. barely getting the words out just yeah she's like in shock and on a pill like you like rubbing her eyes like not making yeah. eye contact just like exhausted to answer any of their questions but really trying yeah and like a little bit high yeah so then Benson and Stabler go to the homeless mental health clinic and Stabler gets shut down super hard by this I love her she's like V <laughs> chill but also zero nonsense I don't want to yeah. call her a receptionist whatever person who like I literally said I love this front counter lady because I didn't know what she did <laughs> so he goes can I see Dr. Klein and she goes she's in a session and Stabes pulls his badge out and says it'll take about five minutes while he like extends his badge to show her and her expression yeah. doesn't change her tone doesn't change she doesn't even look at the badge she just goes she'll be done in 30 so have a seat and I was like yeah. oh Stabler's face was sorry I know it's Stabler but his face was I don't know what to do right now i've never been told no before yeah so he slunks off to olivia as she's getting off her cell phone the stalker's Mm -hmm. name is ben moreland maggie had had a restraining order out on him so stabler says why don't we just sit here and pass that off to fucking munch and toots so they sit down in this waiting room and it's full of people who are clearly dealing with some mental health stuff you know Mm -hmm. they made it very clear that olivia's like like yeah this whole this whole episode, I feel like she's, you can tell, they they, they do a good job at showing that she's like, uh. Yeah. Okay. I'm, no, I'm going to take it from the top and I'm going to rank the detectives, my least favorite detective of the episode, to my most favorite. Mm-hmm. And it goes, Olivia, Toots, Stabler, Munch. And Munch is the top? Yep. Okay. Just the way everybody is responding to all this shit, because I have a lot of feelings about this shit. Yeah. So yeah, so they're going to stay in the waiting room and wait for Dr. Klein and Munch and Toots are going to deal with Ben Moreland. So Munch and Toots are like on their way to see Ben. He had been stalking Maggie for like a month and he became agitated when the cops showed up 
and he had like box cutters taped to his hands and a, a, a police officer almost got cut. He pled insanity and said a bunch of stuff about laser beams and shit and the judge ordered him to take his meds. So Munch and Toots are at Ben Moreland's place. It's a bit disheveled and there's like paintings all around. Mm-hmm. And I feel really bad for him because he's like drooling and shaking but it's because of his meds you find out. Yeah. He insists he hasn't bugged Maggie and he knows he's not like allowed near her. They tell him that Maggie's dead and he becomes really upset, obviously. It was obvious that Maggie really cared about him, even though she had a restraining order against him. Mm-hmm. She knew he had mental illness. She had helped him get his disability and get him off the streets and helped him to take his meds consistently, even checked in on him even after the restraining order. She'd helped set him up with housing and helped him yeah. try and find work and yeah. everything else. When Munch comes compliments his art he's like you're really talented and ben's like only when i'm crazy and i'm like wow that's fucking relatable right so toots is kind of giving him an attitude about like ooh, is he gonna stay on his meds is he gonna be on his meds when we get there how much you want to bet he's not Mm -hmm. and is kind of short with this guy who's clearly struggling so i'm watching it and the way that ben described his experience on meds he's like yeah the meds keep the voices away but there's a price to pay the other way as well. I just have a little bit of a soapbox here. You're a piece of shit if you Mm -hmm. cast judgment on a person who happens to be homeless because they don't have to be quote unquote obviously crazy or whatever to be where they are. They actually owe you zero explanation for where they're Mm -hmm. at. Help them when you can or don't and fuck off. I cannot fucking stand it when people comment on someone who's experiencing homelessness and having any kind of judgment about it. I don't care how together someone fucking looks. You have no idea what got them there. It's that whole, like, I feel like that American thing where we're like, pull yourself up by your bootstrap. You're like, you know what? Sometimes, first of all, you can't actually literally pull yourself by your bootstraps. That's like a whole other thing. But like, that's not how the fucking real world works. No. Like, it's not. And fuck you. You don't want to know all the steps that it takes to get that part. You don't care. You At the end of the day, you don't fuck fucking care if that's your opinion you don't care what happens to that person so shut yeah. the fuck up like you don't yeah. care right let me screaming who am i joe rogan fucking <laughs> calm down no <laughs> i i get so fucking annoyed when people are like oh how much you want to bet that they fucking have a car oh look they have a phone and they blah 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 that doesn't mean anything right. if you're are you gonna give them a sandwich or not you're right. gonna give them some cash or not like you're not that and if you do shut the fuck up about it i don't even know where i am now i have like a tingly forehead because i'm irritated okay so- now we're back at the clinic with benson and stabler they're meeting with dr klein as usual the doctor says she cannot give them a list of maggie's patients like they asked for and as usual they press by pushing the severity of the situation she mm-hmm. maintains a protective stance on the patients and says that they'll have to get a court order maggie was writing a thesis on a non-compliant patient though Mark Nash. And she's like, yeah, why don't you look into him before you fuck with my patients? Because apparently he refused to take his meds and was suffering with schizophrenia. Dr. Klein believed he could really, really benefit and be helped with meds and therapy. But Maggie advocated for a patient's right to choose whether they would or would Mm -hmm. not take medication. Mm -hmm. So then Dr. Klein is like, blah, blah, blah. That's all good and well that Maggie felt this way. But how can a sick mind recognize that it's ill? Yeah. And I'm like, that's a super loaded question. Yeah. But it is a good point though yeah it's like you get what she's saying but yeah whatever what this episode is based on is it's not a an individual case it's based on the debate of whether people should or should not be forced to take medication yeah that it's required for people that are suffering with mental illness yeah so now they're in the squad room find out that there's three sets of footprints maggie's the victim outside and then the shook ass dude that found everybody so there's only one perp not two and there's like nothing on mark nash yeah no violent history this is where i get pissed at benson because there's like oh there's no red flags for mark nash 
smash. And Benson's like, well, there's a first time for everything. And just shutting her mind off. There's no gray area for her here. And yeah. Munch is here to advocate for those with mental illness. And yeah. we love this Munch. I included you in loving him just because. Well, yeah, I mean, he made great points. Yeah. He said, how do you know if you're sane? How do you know if the people who are telling you are sane are sane? Right. These are the good, good points. This you know? is the level of his contrarianism that I am falling in love yeah. with. And Benson, she literally just made him a suspect in her head because he has mental illness. Yeah. She's like, first time for everything. You're like, what? What? Mm-hmm. So Munch says that it's a right to refuse medication. And then Benson disagrees and says that for the public safety, not taking meds shouldn't be an option. So there's an interesting debate going on. Yeah. Um, oh, and then they get a phone call and John Doe is awake and out of surgery. Mm-hmm. So Munch and Toots skedaddle to the hospital. They're like trying to get that statement. Right. The doctor's kind of like, eh, chill out. He's like super groggy. He like comes to a little bit, but he is super groggy. And his name is Earl Miller. Oh and God, then- I have the stupidest joke here. I wrote Earl, ew. <laughs> I wrote, Munch, forgetting his bedside manner at a Chomsky lecture or some shit, asked the doctor, hey, does he still have all his parts? Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I've got a marker hovering over the missing dick section of our dick board waiting for this answer. Mm-hmm. But the doc's like, you know, Jesus, you guys, he just had major surgery. Can't this wait? And they're like, no, wake up. <laughs> and so, like Gabe said, his name's Earl Miller. He can barely talk, and he just describes the perp. Slight, white, 20s or 30s, brown hair, crazy. He saw him mm-hmm. attack Maggie. Earl said the dude said something in Russian, but mm-hmm. said he had no accent. This guy's in a ton of pain, struggling to talk. Like He's Kinds. got a lung puncture or some shit, because he can barely breathe. Yeah. He can barely get yeah. his words out. He starts out. like convulsing a little bit. The doctor's like, get the fuck out of here. You guys got to chill. That's literally what I have written for the doctor. Get the fuck out oh. of here. <laughs> So that's all they got out of him, which is, you know, a description of the perp. That's what they wanted. Yeah. So Benson and Stabler walk up to Mark Nash's place. So he's passed out on his front stoop. He has a bloody jacket on and he looks like a little beat up in the face. When they walked up and he was first laying there, I was like, oh my God, he looks just like David Hasselhoff when he was in that cheeseburger on the floor eating video. (laughs) No. Just for like a half second, like right when they walked up, I'm like, oh. So he starts talking about Russian stuff, but without a Russian accent, Benson wants to see his hands and he fucking pulls a knife but Benson grabs him. Benson and Stabler arrest him and then Benson picks up his knife for evidence. He's super zoned out and it seems like he's not he's not lucid and the way he's speaking it's it's like the way I imagine somebody who's really into LARPing would talk or like D&D that's not a dig it's just like you know that like of another realm sort of speak yeah, they start kind of, they almost do like a little British accent for like Middle Earth. And you're like, what? Yeah, like a, it's a Middle yeah. Earth-ish. Yeah. You know, where are you from? Middle Earth. No, that's not. <laughs> it's like, where do you guys want to hail for lunch? McDonald's or something. The Donald of <laughs> Sir Mac. I don't know. I don't know anything. I've never LARPed before. I would like chicken tenders and french fries. <laughs> I'll have a Diet Coke, no ice. <laughs> but yeah, so Stabler is like getting cuffs on him and he he looks up at him and goes, I- Save your ice for the dragons. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you grabbed the mic so hard. <laughs> I did. Save the okay. ice for the dragons. So he looks up at Staves and he's like, I do not repent. You know, he's speaking like that. Yeah. Benson and Stabler have Mark in the interrogation room. He smells super boozy. He's upset and in handcuffs. And he admits to stabbing Earl. 
mm-hmm. the fucking guy in the hospital. And he's like, and I, ho- I hope he's dead. They show him a picture of Earl and he like, uh, Nash kind of loses it and runs at the wall. No. What? After he confessed to stabbing Earl, she picks up a picture of Maggie on the floor. Oh. And shows him it- that. It was so, like there was zero bedside manner. Like she didn't give, she didn't care about his mental health. I got the names mixed up, I bet. Yeah, I she put that in his face, and then he, like, tore off. Yeah, and Stabler comes up to him, and he's, like, trying to calm him down, but dude starts screaming. Mm-hmm. Like, they obviously, like, need help with the situation. Like, somebody that, with, like, some mental health training. I literally put, wow, girl, you guys need, like, a weekend course or get a specialist in there or yeah. some shit. Worse fucking Skoda. No shit. Yeah. He's turtleneck shopping. <laughs> yeah, he's out of town. He's like, don't call me. <laughs> Hello? I'm at Saks. <laughs> These turtlenecks aren't going to try themselves on. Cashmere's 40% off. <laughs> Boop. So Stabler leaves the room and tells Cabot that they won't be getting anything out of him right now because he's, quote, delusional. Mm. So the blood on the knife came back as Earl Miller's, but Cabot wants the gun to close it all up tight. The ME found two different hairs on Maggie, so they, like, won't need the gun evidence because of the hair. Well, she wants to get all of the evidence that they can get. She also says that the defense will ask for a 730, so a state exam will keep him until he's fit for trial. Cabot gives Stabler a search warrant for Nash's house. But Munch and Toots are talking to Nash's mom. She's not the precinct. So Craigan wants them to serve her the warrant while she's there. Because she li- he lives with her. Munch and Toots are talking to Mrs. Nash. She's been running around everywhere trying to find Mark. He always like forgets or loses his keys. She wants to know what, what Mark did. Munch tells her Maggie was sexually assaulted and murdered. But she's like, Mark's nonviolent. And this is impossible because he adores Maggie. Okay, but he's like covered in Earl's blood. Right. She says Mark has tried a bunch of different drugs, but they all had terrible side effects. And he refuses to try them again. Like one, he slept for like 18 hours of the day. Yeah. Like, you know, they're like, does does he like beer? <laughs> She's like, yeah, he always managed to buy beer. She didn't really give him a lot of money, but he always got it. Mm-hmm. And they asked her if she owns a handgun. And she says that she does because she, she bought it to protect Mark from the neighborhood ignorance that harass him. Yeah. The way she comes for fucking Toots, though, because Toots is mm-hmm. getting a little too, little too tough guy. Because what he said to her was, it's okay if you want to protect yourself from him. And she was like, the media has done an excellent job of demonizing schizophrenics. And then I stop and go, yes. Mark doesn't scare me, detective. Pathetic, narrow-minded people do. Yep. Yes, yes, yep. yes. Me. So we're at the courthouse and we're following Cabot as she's greeted by Matt Wooding, a thin-lipped but warm-seeming, not-quite-British dude representing Mark Nash. They get right to it. What? You're so- <laughs> You're like... A thin-lipped. <laughs> yeah, there was like I. I like to paint a picture of what no, people. Yeah, look I know like. it was just funny because it was like pretty dead on. It was just interesting. Thank you. So they get right to it. Cabot offers ten years in a state hospital with court-monitored medication compliance for the duration, and he's like, "Ooh, six years in a state hospital and remaining four years on compliance." Yeah. She can't believe that's what he thinks he's gonna get given the brutality yeah. of the scene. And Wooding's like, "Yeah, last I checked, you only have him for Earl Miller's assault, and that guy's alive." And she's like. Yeah. Yeah, just barely, and now he's missing a piece of action. And I'm like, mark it! Season two, missing dicks, two... So yeah, Cabot doesn't really want to budge, but she gives in slightly. So she's like... Eight inside and five on compliance. But the deal's off the table. 
if she's the one that finds the gun with Mark's prints. Yeah. So the lawyer's going to go talk to Mrs. Nash about it. He seems like a really good lawyer, though. Yeah. Like, I think he's the family lawyer who really knows them. Yeah. I mean, there's there's literally nothing in the episode that says that, but, like, that's what I felt like, too. Mm -hmm. So they're at Mark Nash's house. Nash's mom owns a 38, so they're looking for it. They find Mark's, like, room or his area, and it's got, like, stuff everywhere, like cutouts, art, etc. Yeah, it's very chaotic. Yeah. And then Olivia says, quote, it just seems nutty to her. And I just want her to like shut up this whole episode. Mm-hmm. Like I love her and I know that's like fucking heavy thing to say about Benson, but... We have to hold her to the standards that everyone else is held to. Like Olivia now in the year now, she would never fucking be like that. No. She's learned. Yeah. She's grown. She's the captain for a reason. Now. Yeah. They just, they're really like hitting it home that she's not comfortable with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Stabler kind of calls her out on how she's acted in the interview with Nash. Yeah. In a real like passive aggressive dad way. Yeah. That she was like pushing too hard. Hard and she doesn't see why it's a big deal. Then Olivia tells us why she's being weird. Um, six months out of the academy, she worked at a crime scene where a man with schizophrenia hacked his dad to death, then killed himself. He had stopped taking his meds, and Stabler was like, "Dude, that was one experience with one guy." Which is the exact right thing to say. Yeah, but she thinks that that guy should have been forced to take pills for the safety of the community and others. She says he goes, "You're uncomfortable with the mentally ill," and she goes, "No." I'm uncomfortable with dangerous unpredictability. Yeah. There's just a lot going on with that. Like, Yeah, I get that they're trying to, like, ride a line of, like, are they trying to cause a debate in somebody's, you know, living room? What do you think? Oh, my God, do you think this caused any divorces? Yes. <laughs> this episode. SVU has caused so many divorces and so many marriages, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Do you know how many people have been like, hey, you want to come over after work and watch some SVU with me? And then they just got married because there was so much to watch that they were yeah. together forever. Yeah. And then later got divorced because of an SVU episode that they didn't agree with. <laughs> so right after this, a forensic dude walks in. They had found a gun in Mrs. Nash's lingerie drawer, and, but it hadn't been fired recently. Yeah. Okay, so they're in the arraignment court. On the table so far, there's one count of murder in the second degree, one count of rape in the first degree, and one count of assault in the first degree. He's pleading not guilty for reason of self-defense. I do not like this dick judge. So he's being snarky in his assumption that Mark is going to plead insanity. And he's like, oh, what a surprise. Fuck you. You're not being impartial. Also, he's pleading not guilty because it was fucking self-defense. Cabot wants Mark remanded without bail and given a psych eval. Mark's lawyer Mm -hmm. says that a psych eval isn't necessary because they will concede that Mark suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. Side note, Mm -hmm. that's no longer recognized as a separate diagnosis. Paranoia is a symptom of schizophrenia. But anyway, Mm -hmm. he says that Cabot's being narrow-minded in calling Mark a danger. So the judge is like, well, I'm worse and stupid and probably a climate change denier. So I'm going (laughs) to remand him and have him evaluated. I forgot I wrote that. (laughs) I really really hated that fucking judge. (laughs) Mark's lawyer makes a note that he has the right to refuse medication and basically gets a sure Jan response from the judge, who I hate. So Skoda is talking with Mark at the jail. He's in his new finely knit cashmere turtleneck that he got for 40% off at sex. Uh, Mark is very agitated, rocking, breathing irregularly, rubbing a piece of fabric on his sleeve seemingly for comfort. Mm -hmm. He says he doesn't want to take meds and lists all of the possible side effects of antipsychotics. He presents as very paranoid. And Skoda does a really good job of keeping Mark talking even though it's not being like fruitful of information because he's not in this, like this place of lucidity that we're in. He says to Skoda, he goes, don't look at me. You can see the books in my head. And Skoda goes, what are the books? And Mark says, prognostication. I do it before I see it. And that's exactly like I saw it. 
and he keeps talking about a safe. They talk about what happened to Maggie. Mark is aware of what happened to her, but never says that he did it. He just says he knows that she was raped and murdered. He says that Maggie understood him and his hatred for his mother. And if it wasn't for his mother's suffering, he could end his own. He's really fucking smart. Mm -hmm. He studied all of the ologies and Mm -hmm. he brought up the safe and Skoda's like, what safe? And he's like, the safe contained his life. It's all very hard to understand. It's like a puzzle. He says the key is needed to get within it. It's below the floor in hell. I dream of angels, but I live with demons. There's like a callback to this in later scenes where you kind of, this kind of gets pieced together. Munch and Toots walk into the squad room. Munch, again, on the right side of decency here. Toots tells Benson and Stabler that Earl in the hospital, I deed Mark. And he calls him a loon. And I'm like, mm, fuck you too, toots. Mm-hmm. Bottom two this week. Mm-hmm. Like, they give a shit. They're in my bottom two. And I'm in my basement storage closet. <laughs> right. Munch isn't happy he says that. And he's like, dude, words have power. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that's karma. You're going to get Alzheimer's. And I'm like, ooh, ouch. It was <laughs> like, really damn. brutal. <laughs> but I mean. But it, it turns out that Ben Moreland's prints were found at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. And in case you don't remember, Ben Moreland is the guy who Maggie had a restraining order against. With all the paintings in his apartment. All the, yeah. Also, the hairs found on Maggie. Maggie's body were not Mark Nash's. Mm-hmm. So that's important. And Olivia's um, like, I still think he's terrible. You're like, fuck off. So Munch and Toot walks up. Munch and Toot. I can't drink any more of this drink. Munch She's and- like, munching Toots Toots billing. And Toots <laughs> should take his shirt off. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. That was a... No. A glitch of the matrix, and I don't feel that way. And I have to cut out all of that Takashi 6 9 shit I've said for the last two weeks, because I'm like, who was that bitch? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Munch and Toots are walking up to Moreland's building. All of his art is outside, leaned up against the building. And his mm. landlady is out there sweeping the stoop. She's got like box dye red hair. And she's short. It's short, really hair, short, yeah. choppy lunch lady hair. She's got um, like a muumu, And you can tell that she smoked since she was like 11. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I can let you have that one real cheap. And Munch flashes his badge. And he's like, it's not yours to sell. And she goes, Mr. Moreland is three months behind on his rent. Toots reminds her that there is an eviction process. I followed every step. Furniture's mine and so is the art. Moreland signed an agreement before I put him out. He said it was like Picasso paying for his meals. Jesus, Tasha. <laughs> what? what? It's just good. You're good at it. <laughs> I studied her. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They're like, take this shit off the fucking sidewalk or we'll fucking find you. Yeah. She's like, oh, geez. With her face. <laughs> she doesn't say it. Benson and Stabler are back talking to Maggie's boss, Mrs. Klein. She said she also hasn't seen Moreland since the stalking incident with Maggie. And she had referred him to a different clinic, but that clinic also hasn't seen him in like two weeks. And she's like, I don't have time for this right now. So Stabler is getting fucking irritated. And he's like, look, fucking cancel your schedule or I'm charging you with aiding and abetting a fucking suspect. And she's like, what charges? And I'm like, can they do that? Yeah. And then he like kind of calms down. And he's like, we don't want you to reveal like your privileged info. Just tell us where he fucking like hangs out or, or something. Mm-hmm. And she's like, okay, well, he used to hang out at this place called the Shepherd's Flock Shelter. That was when he was homeless. So then there's like a classic walk and talk. Stabler gets a phone call and turns out Ben Morland's in the tombs for destruction of private property, which just means jail, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it cuts to Benson and Stabler in the interrogation with with Moreland. They had found his prints in the store where Maggie was. So he admits to killing Maggie and I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. Then he requests to do his time at this place called Creedmoor. And I'm like, I'm not on board immediately yeah. as soon as he yeah. confessed. And he was like, yeah, they have like paint therapy and all this stuff. He said he went to talk to Maggie to ask her to talk to the doctor that they had 
recommended him to to change his meds. She asked him to leave or she'd call the cops. He starts telling them how he killed Maggie, but it doesn't match up with what happened. He's like obviously lying. And then he just keeps talking about Creedmoor and how great it is. So he's just trying to cop to it so he can go to another place. Yeah. So Cragen wants a blood sample to match against the hairs found on Maggie because now they have fucking zero suspects. So Munch suggests Miller, the second victim, the guy that had his fucking dick mangled or whatever. Yeah. Munch is like, we haven't looked into Earl Miller. And I'm like, fucking finally. Yeah. All caps. So he doesn't have an ID and he had recently moved here from New Hampshire, but he's not known there either mm-hmm. when they looked into it. So his house is 20 blocks away from the market. Like, why did he go that far for a midnight snack? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he had told Munch and Toots that he was on his way back from visiting a friend. And Craig is like, fucking go back and talk to him. Yeah. They're like, what friend? Yeah. Who's his friend? Now we gotta look into this. Right. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I knew this because only the worst lose their dicks. That's true. Mm-hmm. That's true. It's never not been true yeah i'm sorry to point so, at you so hard when i say that but it's never not been true <laughs> benson and stabler are watching miller eat soup like a caveman and uh they're playing like they just need to go over his statement and ask for the name of his friend uh nope no friend he says i was with a pro this guy is so andrew dice clay but i know i've done it and i'm not gonna do it but this guy Come is on. An Andrew Dice Clay type. Now we got to go back to how he was like holding his. Tr- he had like one arm over it, like like he was like trying to scoop it into his chest, mm-hmm. and then like had his spoon. Like it was weird. Like you know how you would tell your friend in high school across the room in class that you wanted to smoke a bowl. You would be like this. You'd like hold it and go. And they would be yeah, like, like you're uh-huh. like you're holding a lighter in the bowl and you're like yeah. circling and around. Like yeah. Doing a cert- like it would be like that, except like your whole arm. You'd be like, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so he says, I was with a pro, not at her place, just in her car, and he didn't get a name. And I'm like, hmm, that's convenient. Mm-hmm. So they left and they're like, hmm, that's convenient. Because Benson's like a pro with a car in that neighborhood. Not gonna be in her By the car. way, pro means sex worker. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Then they also took note of how he ate. Benson called it convict posture. Yeah, it's like you're like protecting, you like have your arm over the tray and you're you're like trying to eat it without anybody like, like protecting it at the same time, you know. So Benson snags a nurse and she's like, can you go get his tray but don't touch anything on it? They're going to try to sneak his prance. And the nurse is like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she's like, I don't care about this fucking job or these people. <laughs> so they're in the squad room. It turns out Miller's Prince belonged to a guy named fucking Earl Gilmore. Here we go. He did seven out of 12 years in Sing Sing for armed fucking robbery. So they think Miller came in to steal and quote unquote does Maggie. And I need them to stop calling rape as quote unquote does. Yeah. They're like, do you think Nat, you think he's the doer? You're like, can you not? Right. Nash walks in, fucking stabs him. Mark witnesses it and shredded his stem. And I'm like, woof, visual presentation. (laughs) Cragen wants Munch and Finn to go grab his prison files at Sing Sing and talk to anybody who fucking remembers Miller. Yeah, and Toots is like me as a teenager and he's like, why do we have to go? Why can't we just call them? I know, Cragen like looks up and he's like, just fucking do it. It's like, don't fucking question me. Um, And he also wants Benson and Stabler to go square everything up with Cabot so they can get 
a DNA profile from Miller slash Gilmore and compare it to the DNA at the scene. Right. Because they fucking know it's going to match already, but there's a chain of evidence that they have to go through to get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a bunch of toots are at Sing Sing. They're talking to the warden about Earl Miller. The warden's being kind of weird. He's like, oh, he didn't get into much trouble. At least nothing serious. When he even says, yeah, you could have just called and I would have sent this shit yeah, over. Right. What we didn't say is Cragen had said he wanted them to go because there is stuff that doesn't make it into the files that you need to ask around. Yeah to get some information you might not be able to get just from the straight files. Right. Because Cragen is a seasoned detective. Right. Slash captain. I am going to finish my drink. Yeah. <laughs> so Munch and Toots are like, well, we want to like walk around and talk to some of the guards on the block. And the warden's like, nah, you, everything that you need is in the file. They leave the office and Munch is like, this guy doesn't want any conflicts as in people thinking they put a violent prisoner on parole and back into the population. Mm -hmm. So in the file, they find the name of a guard named Gary Wheeler. He was the one that filed most of the petty complaints against Miller. And they're fucking hanging out on the, um, like, it's just about to do a shift change at, like, 4 p.m., so they're hanging out outside, and they fucking just start yelling, like, Gary Wheeler! <laughs> Some guy's like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> so Wheeler's like, I fucking think he he's a guard, and he's like, I think he should have done the whole fucking bit. He smuggled in mm -hmm. steroids and worked out super hard and never lifted a finger at the guards, but when the new meat came in, he was all over it. So when he first came in, he had, like, the bravado that you just have, like, coming into prison with an attitude, and then he says to them, because they're like, what happened to him? And he's like, yeah, his roommate indoctrinated him into life at Sing Sing the first night, put him in the infirmary for a week with 14 stitches, and fucking Toots goes, Ouch! <laughs> Yeah. yeah but it turned i mean his ouch took like four seconds to yeah say. basically what this guy gary the prison guard is saying is like fucking earl was like raping everybody all yeah. the new folks so so they're like now we have proof that he's a rapist right now they're in cabot's office so the blood matches the hairs but she's like don't arrest him yet don't arrest earl yet it's all circumstantial there's no fucking murder weapon and she says that nash isn't a credible witness to rape because of his mental illness she needs the gun. She actually does need the gun. Yeah, she wants to close that window on any reasonable doubt. Mm -hmm. Benson and Stabler go back to outside of the convenience store where Earl Gilmore was found in the trash where he belongs. Mm -hmm. Like it's literally piles of trash by a dumpster. Mm -hmm. They figure he ditched the gun in the trash when he collapsed, but the trash was picked up a week prior at this point. So they're going to go to the sanitation department because it's needle in a haystack time. Right. So they are at the sanitation department. I fucking love this guy. <laughs> I loved yeah. this guy. This guy's acting. I ticked off everything about what he was doing. I'm like, this guy was living this fucking role. Yeah. This guy was this guy. This actor was this guy for at least a month yeah. for this scene. It, yeah. was, it was fucking glorious yeah so they're at the sanitation department with probably the floor manager or whatever whatever the title is for the dude in charge here mm -hmm. i'm loving all of the blue collar characters in this episode mm -hmm. by the way like alvin from the beginning yeah he's like oh baggy my coffee like i love <laughs> yeah. all of them this dude is like on top of his shit too like this is his job he knows where all the trucks offload like onto the barge he takes pride yeah. in this trash he's very confident okay. he can help them find whatever yeah yeah he's like whatever you're looking for we'll find it look even with 800 tons of garbage in a barge, I know what each of my trucks offloaded. We'll just cart it to Staten Island and have the hazmat guys sift through it. When do we do the pickup? Oh my God, my cheeks hurt so bad because I'm smiling so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, since it's already been a week, he can't do anything because the trash is on a barge headed to Virginia by now. Yeah. 
the gun is as good as gone. Yeah. And they all just like sadly watch these trash trucks dump their trash into this giant pit. And I think about my carbon footprint. For I know. A while. I did too. I, I keep, I was thinking about like Virginia. What the, f- where, where, I don't know anything about where trash goes. Where are we putting all of this trash? Yeah. What? Mars. Why don't we, I was just going to say, why don't we have Elon Musk like shoot it out to a place? Oh my God. I was just going to say Elon Musk should be the head of sanitation. <laughs> We should be putting trash on those new shit ships going out into the space. Yeah, we don't need them going out into the space. <laughs> Ever heard of it? You can't breathe up there. I can't drive to bed. I can't I'm drive have to, to bed. Call, call your husband. That's a cool an Uber. Like, John. Your driver's name is John. I'd be like, where's the gum? He's your husband. All right, so we're in Kragen's office. He wants Nash. <laughs> I don't know. Why did I say it like that? We're in Kragen's office because we would. We wish we could talk like because that. Because we've been talking. Yeah. We're in Kragen's office. The talking strategies. <laughs> the drinking tea. Okay, go ahead. They're in Kragen's office. It's like, now I want to do it. Um, now you're trying to sound like you're from the Midwest. Now you sound like you're faking your Midwest accent. <laughs> They're in Kragen's office. <laughs> Everybody's holding a bag. <laughs> Hold on. Now they're okay. So they're in Craigan's office. He wants Nash to take antipsychotics to be able to be a credible witness. But Cabot tells him he can't force him to, and he hasn't been convicted of anything, so they can't use the danger to himself or others angle, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And Nash's mother has instructed that lawyer that under no circumstances is he to take medication because that's his wish, and she's adamant mm-hmm. about it. There's like no options. I right. said so Craigan wants Cabot to cut Nash a deal so he can go because if they can't figure it out. Gilmore's gonna walk and Mark will go to jail for knifing him. Yeah. So that so doing the like cutting a deal so he can go home thing, that might persuade Nash to take his meds so he can get out. Craig doesn't think that the people in Gen Pop are probably very sensitive to what he's dealing with as far as his mental health goes. Yeah. So he's like, we need to hit that angle to throw him a deal so he can get out of jail yeah. and then maybe he'll comply with what we need. Right. Cabot Skoda, Nash, and his lawyer are at the jail trying to work shit out. And Cabot argues that Nash needs to take the meds to give a lucid statement about Gilmore. It's the only way that they can argue self-defense. It would be an injection of an antipsychotic that would last a month. That way, he'll be medicated if she needs him to testify. And if they get a confession out of Gilmore, it'll wear off in a short time and Nash can go back to his psychosis if that's what he prefers. Mm -hmm. This is what Cabot says. Nash adamantly refuses with the support of his lawyer until Cabot asks him about his beat up face because he is also very beat up. Yeah. He's obviously like getting fucked with in jail. Yeah. She says if he wants to go home, he has to take the injection and he finally agrees. And you can also tell that she feels a little like shitty because she's like manipulating a man with mental illness. But she's also Mm -hmm. like what can you do, you know? Right. That's the precinct. Munch and Toots bring Miller into a room to talk. Earl Miller is hobbling in with a walker. Basically, they just like straight up call him out about fucking Robin and raping. Fucking Robin and raping. <laughs> I, I literally wrote fucking Robin and raping and blah, blah, blah. And he wants a lawyer. I think I got tired at this point and was like, I'm done <laughs> taking notes. They go on and do this little nonchalant performance in front of him. Mm-hmm. Because they're asking him questions and he's kind of like, well, I told you, well, I said, uh, and you can tell he's kind of like realizing they don't believe him. Mm -hmm. And then they do this little Abbott and Costello Mm -hmm. in front of him. Uh, Like they're chatting at the water cooler, recounting what they think happened. They're like, oh yeah, maybe he attacked Maggie and then put the gun in his pocket. And then when Nash came in, he couldn't get to it in time. And when he fell in the trash, he ditched the gun. Hmm. Yeah. And the guy's like, I want a lawyer. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you do, you piece of shit. (laughs) 
you dickless piece of shit. <laughs> I just imagine my kids on the other side of the door coming to say goodnight to me. <laughs> You're like, a little... you dickless piece of shit. Mom, are you working? <laughs> so they're at the doctor's office and they're about to give Nash the injection and his mom comes in and she's fucking pissed. Mm. She's like, don't give him anything. And Benson and Stabler are trying to explain to her that he's the witness to Maggie's death and they need him to testify. It's either prison or this. She's not having any of it. She says to Mark she'll find a way to keep him out of jail. And he starts saying that there's microwaves in the bars and that he can't go back to jail. Since he signed an agreement, Mrs. Nash would have to have a competency hearing to supersede Nash's decisions, and that would take months. And she like kind of months that he would be in jail. Yeah, exactly. And so she kind of shoots a look at the lawyer, and he was like, "That's all. Like it'll take months, you know." So she right. gives in, and she lets them give the injection. Cabot drags her giant nuts into a conference room <laughs> with Gilmore and his lawyer. Yeah, she had to get one of those little like roller things that you lay to go under um, a car for her nuts. Yeah. <laughs> She claims seven years in prison turned Miller into a sexual predator and she'll hunt down. No, wait, it's Gilmore. I just kept calling him Miller so people would know. And she'll hunt down every inmate he sexually assaulted in prison and put them on the stand. And Gilmore's lawyer is there to call her bluff. So then Cabot tells him about the DNA and fucking Gilmore's like, not possible. See, Gil I said, okay, Gilmore girls. <laughs> like that was going to fucking burn a rapist. <laughs> <laughs> who spent like a fucking dime in prison. I'm like, okay, Gilmore Girls. And he's like, I've seen every episode. I was in prison for seven and years. And he gouges out your eyes with your his fucking thumbs. <laughs> and I'm like, you know your entire body has DNA, right? You fucking dumbass. Like, we know that you're like, yeah, I wore a condom. I'm stupid. But the best is that Cabin then says that. She leans in super hard and she's like, your client is very stupid. Yeah, and then he's like, he flips on her and he's like, he calls her a scum-sucking bitch. She's like, okay, like, calm down. She's like, we've got a witness, and if you don't plead to life, you're going to get the death penalty, you fucking idiot. Yeah. So his lawyer knows that they're painted into a corner, and she's too afraid to call her bluff at this point, so she's just like, 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, give us time to talk. Yeah. Okay, so they're in the hospital. Benson and Stabler are trying to talk to Nash. But here's the thing. When you get one of those antipsychotic medic medications that work for a month, it Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, no, you don't get a shot, and you're just like, yeah, let's sit down and have a chat. Like, no, like my... I know, I mean, you. I know you know, but I personally know like a family member that was on one of those and it was like weeks of, it was not like that. If it was that fast of a turnaround, I would demand a drive through window. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, You're like, so I'm going to be soups awesome for a whole month. So every time I'm about to get my period, I'm going to get a shot of this or it's going to be worked into my schedule, a monthly schedule, <laughs> you know? Yeah, this isn't what it is. This is equivalent. The way that this guy is now responding in the same outfit. Yeah. They're like, we're going to wait about 30 minutes and he's going to come to earth. Right. Like he's going to come back to be with us right about, oh, right on time. Hey there, buddy. How you feeling? Like, yeah, he's all of a sudden going to be in a lucid state of mind. That's not how mental health works. That's not how it works. And... It's equivalent to, I know that we noted this before, but it's equivalent to Rocky II oh, when Adrian wakes up from her coma and she's just like awake all of a sudden. She's like sleeping, fucking Rocky's reading to her. And then all of a sudden she's just like, uh, what? She's like, hey babe, what's oh. up? Oh, go, go fight. Go fight, Rocky. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how waking up from a coma works. Right. Like, don't even, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not about to shit on my Bible, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I get mad every time I see it. Yeah. Come on, bitch. Give it a minute. So Wiggle a toe first. <laughs> so Nash starts talking about how he was in the cold case looking for beer. 
as per usual. And then you heard this like loud pop and you saw a guy standing over Maggie. He said her pants were down, but she wasn't moving. He didn't see him rape her, but he knew he did it because he was exposed. Nash grabbed the knife and stabbed the guy, not knowing if Maggie was alive or not. The dude tried to fight, but Nash stabbed him lower, as in his junk. And he didn't want anyone to see Maggie like that, so he did what he could to put her shoes on and like flip her over and stuff. Yeah. And as soon as Gilmore went down, Nash went to Maggie. So he's like, I didn't see him leave, but he didn't want her to be seen that way. Yeah. Yeah. And then he said he had to get out of there. And they were like, why didn't you call the police? And he's like, my friend was dead. I mean, this guy, like, this was a beautiful scene. Yeah. This actor. I was going to Google it too because like there were a few actors in it that I was like, oh, I want to Oh my God, I love them, that meme but... that that person made that was like, this is Gabe and Tasha. <sighs> that Mary made? <laughs> yeah. Hi, Mary. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. I was like, oh my God, I know that she so put it in the true. group. I wanted to post it on our Instagram and I was kind of like, what is that supposed to mean? No, to me. <laughs> because you're like, I'm watching, it's, okay, so it's this meme and it's Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, probably from whatever that fucking movie they were in together. The one where she's like half Chinese and then, and then they like save jazz together and you're like, no. <laughs> I never watched it because I was like, no. <laughs> Saved jazz together. <laughs> or blues or something. Something something that they don't have they any don't have a, right saving. Yeah. But yeah, it was like, it was like her staring off intently and Mary had changed the text to say Gabe watching SVU and then uh, Ryan Gosling is like talking to the side of her face <laughs> like oh. em emphatically that's funny that you took it that and way because I was like this chick thinks I'm a fucking idiot I don't know who anybody <gasps> no. is see I took it at neither of us has any self esteem because <laughs> then it said over that was um, Tasha explaining where we've seen every actor before and see I took it as, and I knew it was, and I thought it was funny and cute, and I knew it was a joke and everything, but then yeah. I'm going to take it the next step, and I'm going to read into it, and I'm like, what does this mean? I am wildly annoying, and everybody knows no. that. <laughs> it's like, nobody, um, actually, That's... like, I, if there was a thing that was a walking actually, it would look like me, and it would have glasses like me, and it would just constantly be like, actually, he was in fucking Mighty Ducks 2. No. Not one. <laughs> no. It's, it's so weird how we took it the different different way, because I was like, oh, they all think Tasha has her shit together, and I'm just this idiot that she has to tell everything <laughs> to, because I don't know anything, and I can't do anything right. That's like... <laughs> <laughs> but also we thought it was really cute and we loved it let's, um, let's do this anyway I didn't sleep for days thanks Mary <laughs> hi hi okay so they're in the room with Miller and lawyer Cabot comes in she's like the deal's off the table Miller's going to death row and they fucking arrest him yeah she like high kicks the door of the <laughs> conference does. room open when like, when <laughs> the door is when the door flies open her leg is still above her head she's so pumped <laughs> okay so then this is so adorable Benson and Stabler are getting hot dogs at a street vendor cart I hope this guy has enough relish. Mm -hmm. Stabler's phone rings. No dogs. Hospital. That's what I well, have for Well, I liked how she was like, she was like, I thought we were going to dinner. He's like, we are. She's like, I thought we were going to sit down somewhere. And he's like, what are you talking about? We can sit in the car. Yeah. <laughs> and Stabler's wearing a fucking Newsies hat for some reason. It's very cute. Oh my God. I saw that. And I'm just like, oh my God, Gabe's going to get such a boner over this <laughs> shit. That's like such like a, Gabe's like, oh my God, that makes you look 50. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Yeah, so they're, they're not going to get hot dogs. Here we are with our new SVU Coroner Warner, Tamara Tooney. Yes. This, that, that fucking meme was so right because I write, this is where we meet fucking what's-her-face. 
That's what I have on my notes. Because <laughs> you know I'm going to fill it in. Cool, because I couldn't remember her name. And then I, I knew that you would. Yeah, because I was like. Okay. <laughs> so Nash took off his belt and put it around the hospital bedpost and hung himself. The meds made him lucid, but he couldn't face a reality he wasn't used to living in. And nobody fucking set him up with therapy for that for some reason. So they, they see Mrs. Nash and they're like, we're so sorry. And she's like, go to hell. Because yeah. duh. Olivia is super confused, by the way. She's like, she's like what? But why would he? Yeah, you're like, whatever. I did not like her this episode. I didn't either. I didn't either. I'm not sorry about it either. Fucking come for me. She's the queen, but you know what? She's also a human. Okay, so for this episode, I didn't want to do it about a perpetrator with mental illness, but I looked and looked and looked, and we're doing it about a perpetrator with mental illness. Okay. It's really hard to find shit, just like w- like detailed accounts of like witness shit. I'm sure it exists somewhere. Well, and it's also probably because they're kind of like brushed off, like, oh, we can't trust them or we can't blah, 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 just like in the episode. Like, I didn't want to hit the stigma because the stigma of mental illness and like what people think that someone with mental illness is capable of or would do. I just didn't want to hit any of that. And but this is a true story. And this is it was a really hard story to hear and like learn about. But I think it like highlights a lot of things that people need to be talking about anyway, or that we need to be talking about in this chaser. Yeah. So the story I am going to tell you is about undiagnosed mental illness and family tragedy. Okay. The Herzogs were a musical, close-knit family in Santa Rosa, California. Marilyn and Mark had divorced but shared two children, their son Houston and his younger sister, Savannah. Some things that were said about Mark Herzog were he was a wonderful man, a loving, kind man, a real stand-up guy. He had so many friends, and he was a peacemaker. Everything I read about the family and what happened, every single article, story, interview, at least once, somebody had to mention what a great fucking dude Mark Herzog was, okay? okay? So that just gives you kind of like a little bubble of this nice little family in California. From here, I'm going to be focusing on the son, Houston. Houston always grew up in Santa Rosa. He was a musician. He and his dad, Mark would open the garage doors and sit outside jamming for hours. I don't understand how people play music off of another person. I think it's impressive when somebody can like come in and someone's like, you know, just playing. Yeah. And then somebody's like, you know what? This could really use one of these kind of bass lines. You're like, what? We couldn't even mouth do it. If I was like, here, I'm going to, I'm going to mouth guitar. And then you come in with any mouth instrument and meet me where I'm at. Okay. Hang on. Wait, I'm like, was that a mouth harmonica? A harmonica is a mouth harmonica. Um, so they're in the garage jamming. When Houston graduated high school, he was living with his mom, Marilyn. And after he graduated from Santa Rosa High School's Art Quest program and began taking classes at SRJC. Santa Rosa Junior College. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. Was I too impressed by that? Yes, it was Santa Rosa Junior College. What year was this? 70s, right? No, dude. This was like, yeah, this was like five years ago. What? So after he graduated from Santa Rosa High School's Art Quest program and began taking classes at Santa Rosa Junior College, 
he began displaying new behaviors that were drastically unfamiliar to his friends and family. Annette Keys was an aunt of his. She noticed a few things in this short period of time, changes in Houston. She noticed that he read Kant and Nietzsche obsessively. He would sit down and watch a movie with the family and then go off in like the first half hour and be alone on the computer. Those things aren't really concerning, but they're things that she noticed because they weren't like him. You know, yeah. it was a progression that was slow enough that was kind of like, what's going on with him? You know, he's, at like first. A, he's like a teen, early 20, right? Like going into Yeah, college, yeah. Like... Young adult, you know, barely out of high school. Houston quit his band and continued to play music, but kept to himself alone in his bedroom. He continued to isolate more and more. There was an instance where his aunt, Annette Keys, was visiting from Ohio. Houston, Annette, and other family members were in a car accident where Houston was the driver. And when the accident happened, instead of checking on the passengers after the impact, he looked over at his aunt and asked about the sandwich that he had sitting on the seat between them. Oh, wow. Okay. And she felt like that was really strange. Like, there was just, like, a lot of things that she noticed. So here's a quote from Annette that she recalled saying to him. Quote, I said, honey, I feel like something happened to you. Did something happen that you're not telling us about? Hmm. And he gave me this sideways glance and said, maybe I'll tell you about it sometime. It was the creepiest thing. End quote. He continued to speak of aliens, conspiracies, and poison and things. The family described an empty, vacant gaze that had started coming over him as, quote, the look. Annette Keyes described it as, quote, it almost seemed like he left his body and someone else came in and took his place. His half-sister, who was much older um, from his dad's first marriage, Cameron McDowell, mm -hmm. remembers getting off the phone with her aunt Annette after a conversation talking about these scary changes in Houston. Mm -hmm. And Cameron said this, quote, I told my husband, I'm scared Houston is that kid who's going to walk into a supermarket and open fire. Like, mm -hmm. this is how intensely concerned his family had become for him. Yeah. Okay. In March of 2011, Marilyn, Houston's mom, started taking him to see Dr. Dennis Glick, a private psychiatrist. Dr. Glick made notes suggesting Houston displayed symptoms of major depression, developmental issues, and schizoaffective disorder. So unfortunately, instead of probing into the schizophrenic symptoms, Dr. Glick concentrated on Houston's depression and prescribed him an antidepressant. Houston was also abusing Adderall that he stole from his mom, and apparently he had stopped for a while after he was on the antidepressants, but he picked it back up in June of 2011. And this went on periodically until Marilyn had had enough and told Houston he needed to move out of her house and go live with his dad, Mark. Okay. On November 19th of 2011, Houston came back to his mom's house, and Marilyn said that when he got there, quote, he had that that look in his eye and he said oh, no. i feel really violent i oh. said are you afraid you're going to hurt me like how scary to be a mom and be having this conversation with your adult son yeah it's also like it sounds like they had a kind of relationship where he could say that to her he could say things to her like he could tell her how he felt so a lot of times mm -hmm. people are like you know what i mean so that's well and for cool. her response to be are you afraid you're going to like it feels Instead like of being like well you know like well and remember that she was the one who was taking him to a psychiatrist so it's like you know there possibly there was other therapy involved because that's like a healthy way to i think talk to somebody who's struggling yeah it sounds like it to me anyway like i feel like that was i'm like wow i don't know if i'd respond that way yeah which i feel like i to me some a human being vulnerable enough or whatever to say that to anybody is huge you know? So then she followed him out into the garage where he turned around 
and grabbed her by the arm and threw her back into the garage, locking the door. Through the door, he asked her if she was afraid of him. She said, quote, no, you're my child. I love you and I trust you. Oh my God, who the fuck is stomping around up there? Can you hear that? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know what it is? They're playing Daddy Robot. That's what it is. Of course. I'm like, quit being such a good dad and sit down and ignore them so we can be quiet down here. (laughs) Um, Okay. Through the door, he asked her if she was afraid of him. And she said, quote, no, you're my child. I love you and I trust you. And I don't think you're going to hurt me. She also said to him, if you're feeling violent, go out and run. Run around. It's dark out and nobody will see you. Just run as fast as you can. Go up the hill. Just run. She's like trying to help him and just, just couldn't. So... He unlocked the door and ran from the house. Marilyn went in and checked her purse, and she found more Adderall missing. After all of this, Marilyn called her therapist, who told her to call the police, because Houston had assaulted her. He said that she could have him 5150 5150 is a specific California Welfare and Institutions Code, which allows a professional person designated by Fresno County to take you to an approved psychiatric facility for involuntary 72-hour treatment and evaluation. This person could be a police officer or perhaps a crisis mental health worker is that is that like the same thing in florida or where they call it being baker acted or yes okay it's just the code the 5150 so then they use it as a verb yeah marilyn called mark and let him know what happened and what her therapist had told her to do marilyn recalls the conversation she says quote he said no no please don't call the police i said why not and he said they shoot those kids please don't call them that's my son just an aside just really quick this is a fine example of needing funding within the police to have mental health professionals in the field yes yes Fuck yes. Family members all recall similar conversations with Mark. They'd talk 5150 for Houston and Mark would say he'd look into it, but he never wanted to call the police to follow through on it because of multiple cases that he was familiar with where parents had called police for a 5150 and their child was shot and killed. A few examples of that. In 2007, 16-year-old Jeremiah Chass was shot 11 times in his driveway by sheriff's deputies after his mom made a distress call for a psychotic break. A month later, Richard DeSantis Santis's wife called police for a 5150 because he was having a bipolar episode. He ran out of the house when police arrived and was shot dead, unarmed, in front of his home. Mm. In 2008, 24-year-old Jesse Hamilton was suffering from schizophrenia, living in a group home. When a staff member called 911 during a break, Jesse was shot and killed. Right. So that's what kept, that was the one thing that kept mark from getting immediate help for his son yeah and something awful happened so i read this article called a picture of tragedy by rachel Devi, and in it she had said this quote the nonprofit treatment advocacy center reports that police kill mentally ill people in so-called justifiable homicides four times as often as they kill people who are not mentally ill so mark was terrified to lose his son and had said that he was uncertain how houston would react to police presence so he just couldn't do it he did write a note on his calendar for the week of November 21st, which was really chilling. It just said, get help for Houston. Around 1 a.m. on November 21st, Houston stabbed his father, Mark, in the kitchen of his home. He used four different knives. He stabbed him 60 times. God. And he partially decapitated him. 
17-year-old Savannah was home during the attack. She raced by her father being brutally murdered to lock herself in a room and call 911. The police uh-huh. arrived and Houston said unequivocally and plainly, I killed him. He also said to the police, the look in his eyes, I had to. Houston would go on to be diagnosed with schizophrenia. A psychiatrist testified during the trial that the psychotic break that caused the attack was brought on by the onset of schizophrenia. The National Institute of Mental Health defines schizophrenia as a chronic brain disorder that afflicts roughly 1% of the American population. It stems from a combination of genetic and environmental factors and is often characterized by paranoia, hallucinations, and a lack of interest in socialization. It typically exhibits between the ages of 16 and 30, although the National Institute of Mental Health cautions that most people with schizophrenia are not violent, certain tendencies like delusions of persecution can lead to violence. It's a long-term mental disorder involving a breakdown in the relation between thought, emotion, and behavior leading to faulty perception, inappropriate actions and feelings, withdrawal from reality and personal relationships into fantasy and delusion and a sense of mental fragmentation. So my aunt has schizophrenia. Okay. It started to set in for her around 17. I remember periods of her being medicated and periods where, you know, she hasn't been. And when I was a kid, we would all be at my grandma's for holidays. And I remember small things like nobody talked about it. You know, of course, course. nobody talked about it. There were times when she was medicated that it was almost more sad to see her that way because she would be so over medicated. Like you couldn't connect with her. Yeah. Just like the guy... Oh, yeah, like I, yeah, I can, I drool all day or like, or I sleep 18 hours a day. Like I can't, you know. But at other points, she wouldn't be medicated and her paranoia would create a space where she couldn't manage to live in an apartment because part of her paranoia was that there was like wiring in the walls and the government was watching her and the family and medical professionals were working for the government and there were all kinds of things like that. So like when she would have housing and stuff. And that's why I get so pissed about people judging people that are experiencing homelessness because like I remember when my aunt would be missing or my aunt would be homeless and we knew that she wasn't on her medication. And so it was just like, like I know people are out there judging and they're like, they don't know her fucking story and how fucking hard it is for her to be on medication. Yeah. Like why would anybody choose to be homeless? Well, like my aunt in her mind was not safe in this apartment, in this, you know. on the run from the fucking government or whoever. So Houston continued to have paranoid delusions in prison. TVs speaking to him, the prison being a concentration camp. Dr. Abrams writes in a report dated November 1st, 2012, quote, with a very high degree of medical certainty, I believe that Mr. Herzog was insane at the time of the killing. Of course. So, They had all talked to Houston about what he was experiencing in those moments. Houston said, quote, evil was frantic, squeezing my mind. I had to stop it. It wasn't my dad. He said that he thought his dad was speaking symbolically and in code. He said when he started stabbing his dad, Mark seemed to be plastic and not real. He had also said that he was performing an exorcism with a cardboard version of Mark. All three psychiatrists that worked with him came to the same conclusion. A verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity was appropriate in this case. And it was a crazy haul to get his plea allowed 
some in the court system make it really clear that they don't even believe that that's a thing, even though it's the law, mm-hmm. the insanity plea. Yeah. And the majority of the family was behind Houston. His aunt and Mark's sister, remember Aunt Annette, the one from Ohio, yeah. said, we're not crying for blood. We're crying for mercy. Yeah. Houston was facing 25 to life with the charges of first degree murder but was found not guilty by reason of insanity and sent to Napa State Hospital. So remember the chaser I did where we talked about the indefinite sentences given to people found NGRI? Yeah, kind of. Well, it was the one where John Hinckley Jr. was diagnosed with schizophrenia and spent time in a facility (gasps) as opposed to prison. Yeah, the guy that was like obsessed with... Uh, what's her face? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster from the Taxi Driver. Yeah. So in Napa State Hospital, Houston was properly medicated and lucid for the first time. And he would just lay in bed and cry over what he had done to his dad. Oh. Here's a fucked up thing, though. If Houston had gone to prison with the minimum sentence, regardless of his lucidity, sanity, etc., he would be out before he turned 50. But according to his hospital paperwork, they have to let him out by his quote unquote top date, which is December 31st, 2600, 587 what? years post admission. What? Yeah. So here's the debate. An unmedicated and undiagnosed Houston did this awful, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Now, properly medicated, he is in a facility indeterminately. His cousin wrote this incredible piece for the New York Times about how fucked up the system is of mental health facilities and rehabbing those who suffer with mental illness and have committed crimes. Like The system is broken there. The link to that and all of my other sources are in the episode notes on our website, svupod.com. I would encourage you to go read that because it's... svupod.bomb. <laughs> no. Yes! <laughs> Poor timing. Yes! So So he went to go interview Houston, and on this topic, Houston said this, quote, What are they rehabilitating? Not a pattern of violent behavior, since I have no record of violent behavior before my crime. Is it my insanity? Because the treatment for my disease is medication, and I'm medicated and stable now. Houston's sister, Savannah, who was 17, witnessed her father being murdered and made the 911 call, said, quote, Part of me thinks he should still have to pay in some way, whether he was in his right mind or not. It's hard, though, too, because it's, quote, unquote, not guilty. I have to remind myself of that a lot. I think that's because I was there. I saw it happen, but it's my brother and obviously I don't want him to spend his whole life there because mm. even seeing what he has to eat makes me want to cry. Ugh. Being there just deteriorates him more and more and breaks his spirit. He realizes what he did and where he is, and he's depressed. When interviewed Houston's half-sister Cameron, the one who said she was afraid he'd shoot up a grocery store, she said, This is going to sound strange, but I've not once been mad at him. I really, truly, passionately believe that it's not the person that commits the crime. It's the illness. So like Hinckley was released after 35 years, but had been declared in full remission by his doctors for 20. Mm. And that was supposed to be the determining factor in his release. Chris Slavigan, director of the criminal justice program at Vanderbilt University Law School, says even if a mentally ill person has committed a crime, it doesn't mean they're going to do it again. This is a group of people that are incredibly stigmatized and misunderstood in terms of how dangerous they are. So Houston, he's being held, even though he was found not guilty, the thing that they needed to regulate was his, like they needed to create a place where he could find a level of 
like reasonable sanity. And they did that, but he's continuing to be held in this institution indefinitely. Does that make sense? No. It's fucked. W. Lawrence Fish is a consultant at the National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors, and he's a former director of forensic services for Maryland's Mental Hygiene Administration. And he said, people who are found NGRI tend to go back out into the community and they tend to do really, really well. If you provide treatment of illness and provide the supports they need, then they don't reoffend. So he wouldn't have done this if he was in his right mind and there's a way for him to be in his right mind. And now that he is, he's just stuck. Yeah. People are being punished for having mental illness is what it comes down to. Yeah. I mean, it's like an easy way for people to just push that stuff that we don't want to talk about in families or wherever, like off and just we're done, you know. The last thing I could find on Houston Herzog was from 2017. He was still at Napa and planned to wait after being there for five years to file a writ of petition for release. And the only reason for that is because his first social worker at Napa told him that because of what he did, regardless of any factors, including his mental state, which is supposed to be the only factor that matters, Mm -hmm. was that he wouldn't be let out for a long time because of the nature of his crime. So... I'm a person who has mental illness, and I talk about it out loud because the stigma of it is bullshit. And if I don't talk about it, I create so much shame around it and hide when I'm not doing well. Yeah, which is so dangerous. Yeah, for yourself. I got diagnosed with bipolar and OCD. Which, when you told me, I was like, (gasps) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. Yeah. So I took a little break from reality, and... Right before I got diagnosed, I didn't sleep for two or three days. Mm -hmm. It was like the second day. John was worried because it wasn't the first time that he had dealt with me like not doing well. I just I didn't have the proper diagnosis at that point. So like my medication wouldn't. Yeah. But he like gave me a hug and my brain was like on fucking fire. He was like, do you want me to take you to the hospital? And I inside I was screaming, yes take me to the fucking hospital because I couldn't, I was like, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. But out loud, I said, no, mm -mm." no, just like hoping that he would hear the inside. Mm -hmm. But I was too afraid, like, because of the stigma around it. Yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be on a a psychiatric hold. First, I didn't, this is before I got diagnosed. I didn't want to hear that there was something more wrong with me than I thought, because I'm just like, I have anxiety. And it's like a fun little personality trait. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm a quirky Yeah, girl. like, oh, I'm just uh, quirky and, like, I think about killing myself a lot. <laughs> no, but, like, the only way I can describe it is, like, there is, like, one tiny little Horton Hears a Who voice that's like, this isn't real, you know? And all the other voices are like, fucking kill yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Medicated, yeah. I don't feel that way and it doesn't feel familiar and it doesn't feel i know that it's something that i'm terrified to experience again yeah so like i take my mental health very seriously but like what i'm getting at is like when i got my diagnosis i cried and cried and cried and i called my mom my mom's like oh my god i've been waiting for this diagnosis since you're like 17 it was hard for me to hear like i went through this phase of like embarrassment because john would be like these are the times that i can tell you're in your mania Mm. 
Like, I didn't see it coming, and I didn't see the patterns of stuff. And John telling me that, like, seeing different aspects of things that I would do would scare him. And he would, like, gear up for shit that was coming. It made me feel really bad that he had to deal with it, or, like, that he has to deal with it. No, well, what's so cool about this is, like, you know, you guys are both in the know about it. And instead of him being like, okay, this is how I used to know, like, you're, you're able to go to him, the person that you trust... And be like, shit's not right. Here's what's happening. And communicate. When before, it'd be like, you weren't ready or didn't know how to talk about it. But he would see things. And be like, now I have to gear up. But you guys are on a fucking... You guys are like together, you know? Yeah. And I didn't want to tell... And it's like... It's like, I understand that I'm very privileged to like have a person who like wants to... Jesus Christ. Is somebody wearing heels now? <laughs> Did you hear that? Yeah. Fucking horseshoes. Clip, clap, clip, clap. It probably is probably Darla. But so, no, we we have, like, open communication about my mental health, which sometimes I hate. You know, if someone's sick, it can be separated from who they are. Yep. It's so hard to, even for myself, when I know that there's, like, a mental illness aspect to, like, certain behaviors that I might exhibit, it's still hard to myself not connect it with who I am. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Sorry, nobody's funny that's not mentally ill. It's worth it, right? Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take the terrifying breaks from reality for like a laugh here and there. But yeah, so if you want to learn more, donate, be a voice for, or help those with mental illness in some way, you can check out NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans affected by mental illness. Follow us on all social media at SVUPod. Join our Facebook group. Email us, SVUPod at Gmail. Do you already say that? Twat us at Twitter, SVUPod. Also, Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because I love that shit. Mm-hmm. Next week, we're doing episode seven, Asunder, Ass Under. <laughs> Should we just make that joke now? Just it's called it. Ass Under. Yeah. Nickname in high school, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Asunder, the truth behind the alleged rape of a woman by her police officer husband <gasps> comes to light when a history of domestic abuse is uncovered. Oh my God. That's next week. All right. Hey. Hey. This has been tough. I love you very much. Me or everybody? I'm pointing at you. Oh. I love you very much. Such fingers in the um in the webcams. I, ge- I genuinely love oh, you. I can't reach. I love you so much. I just stole your fingerprint. I'm gonna buy something. I'm gonna buy some diamonds on some game. I'm gonna buy some. Okay. I gotta pee. I love you. Bye. I'm gonna use your fingerprint to buy weed. Bye. What? Love you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Hot dog, man. <laughs> hey, Jacoby. He's doing the old man thing. He's still working it out. <laughs> Jacoby, my tie's too tight. <laughs> my wife is dead. <laughs> hey, Jacoby. What? I lost my foot. Ah! <laughs>